to show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Off the Mats Podcast. This episode, I'm going to welcome back friend of the podcast and MMA badass, Miss Jamie Colleen. And for this episode, we're actually going to kind of talk about a little bit more of a serious topic, which is with October being Domestic Violence Awareness Month, Mm -hmm. we're actually going to kind of dive into that a little bit with Jamie being an advocate and um, a supporter of, you know, survivors out there of domestic violence really want to sit and talk with her and um, just kind of pick her brain a little bit about the matter. So uh, Miss Jamie, thank you for coming back and doing this with me. Welcome. Of course. Thank you so much for having me again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's always weird whenever trying to schedule things with people. And I know with you, you have such a busy schedule. So I'm always worried because I'm like, well, like, let's like try to find a time, but it's like, cause whatever time works for you, it's like, I will make my time work. Like, yeah. So, yeah, so it can be, you. yeah, it can definitely be hard sometimes nailing me down. That's why I always appreciate you because you follow up with me all the time. Cause if, if it wasn't for that, then I like, it, it's hard for me, especially with like setting reminders. Like I need reminders to set reminders and like, it's a whole thing. So Yes, I appreciate you always staying on me. So, yeah, I, I get it. I've I've actually missed two episodes of recording because I double booked myself, mm-hmm. and then I put a date on the wrong month, like wrong oh. month and year. So, <laughs> I'm I'm just like, oh my god! Like people are like, dude, you you're doing so well with this. How do you keep it all together? I don't. Yeah, we, we don't. <laughs> I get that question all the time. They're like, how do you balance it all? I'm like, I, I don't. <laughs> I really don't. I, I don't. Um, so when it comes to um, domestic violence, like, I guess sometimes it's a weird topic. I don't want to say like a weird topic, but it gets a little... Um, I guess odd when it comes to the public perception of it because we know it is a thing, but it almost feels like for so long and for so many, it's like we know it's a thing, but it's like it's kind of an overlooked thing. You know, it's there one moment and then the next moment. Sure. It's like, you know, it's like the moment's yeah. passed. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to I guess the topic of domestic violence, you know, how does it, you know, for someone who's been, you know, through it, um, you know, how does an individual come forward about it? Um, well, also everybody's story is different. Every situation is different. We might share some similarities, but now no one story is the same. So with that being said, it can look, you know, with somebody coming forward, it can look like a lot of things. It could be, you know, a forced situation, which was a lot like mine, which is like, I didn't really have a choice. And I still didn't really sort of like connect my situation with domestic violence. I think 
it just, because I, I kind of, it stems from my childhood too. Like I, I grew up in a domestic violence household. So it was just sort of like my norm. It's like, you know, when something's wrong or, you know, like when something, you know, well, my dad shouldn't hit my mom. Like, I know that's wrong. And, but you're not really shown any other example of how, like what a healthy family dynamic looks like. And so you sort of carry that with you until, um, you know, maybe you're taught different or you meet someone that maybe shows you a, a new way. But for the most part, you know, you might see it where like, um, for me, I was forced into a situation that made me look at my life and, you know, because I came across people who were like, this is abuse. Like, do you realize this is like the situation you're in? And I'm like, and then the more resources um, that were given to me, you know, obviously like I start connecting the dots and it all starts making sense. And I'm just like, you know, like I said, you know, like when something's wrong, you see like, this is not, you know, the right way, but like once you, I guess, come to the realization is what I'm trying to say that, you know, this is what the reality of my situation is um, that I, I was able to essentially put a label on it. But, um, you know, some people, you know, maybe, like I said, it's all different. Sometimes people might meet someone and a lot of abusers are like very charismatic. They are very, they are not they're very good at hiding who they really are. So they put on this persona or like a facade to like, you know, reel you in in the beginning and just sort of like finesse you. And then you just, you know, fall in love with them and then they kind of latch on to you. But there's, you know, for some people, they realize it in the beginning and they're like, you know, I'm not doing this. And, you know, and then some people just kind of get sucked in. And then, you know, before you know it, like you're, you're stuck in this situation. You don't know how to get out of it. So. So I, I guess with your uh, scenario, uh, your situation, um, you know, was it like, did it start off like non-physical and then like kind of just like, was it like a verbal thing um, that first, like, cause you know, I've had friends that even on the outside, you know, we're looking at, we'll see kind of the way that they're spoken to you know, by their significant mm -hmm. other. And, you know, there are times, you know, where we, well, especially when we were younger, we didn't think anything of it. As we got older, mm -hmm. you know, we would kind of approach that person in private and we weren't sure if we were overstepping, if, if we were overreacting, mm -hmm. you know, because it was just, again, it was just verbal. It was not physical, but it was just like, mm -hmm. so was it, you know, for you, you know, did it kind of start that way and just build up or, you know, how did it? Yeah. So when I met my ex, um, who was also in the, uh, the fighting community, so that's, that's how we met. And in the beginning, you know, he was very, like, like I said, he was very charismatic. Like people were drawn to him. He was funny. He was good looking. Um, like, possessed a lot of the qualities that I would look for in a partner, but then he also possessed a lot of qualities that would be, you know, um, that would, that would look like red flags to most people. So for me, I am such a, a nurturing person and I like to help people. And I want to, I'm the type of person that wants to like, you know, pull the good out in everyone. Like I believe that, you know, 
there, there's good in people. Well, I well, I now know how to like use that tool so that it doesn't work against me anymore. But it was like, you know, I the things that I know now as red flags, I um sort of looked at it as like, okay, this guy's probably been through a lot in his life. And the more like we got to know each other, I learned more about like his upbringing and his, his background. I'm like, oh my God, this poor guy. So, oh, it makes sense why he said these things or like, oh, it makes sense. You know, I was justifying his behavior and overlooking the red flags. And so, um, and also too, because I really wasn't educated on domestic violence and, you know, a lot of times people live in denial. You don't want to believe that this is happening to you, that this person that you love and who's, you know, this amazing person, but then has this really dark side to them. Like you want to just, you want to see the good and you want that to always like, you want to believe that, that, that good person that they show you will eventually like come and stay when really it's just, it's really like the opposite. So um, for me, like, so like the red flags included, um, he was really controlling right away. Like the physical happened almost right away um, where we got into like an altercation in front of the gym and the, yeah, he got mad at me because, so let me backtrack a little bit. When I met him, I was just sort of getting into martial arts and I was like really passionate about it. And, um, I was in a great place in my life, my early twenties. I was having a lot of fun. I had a lot of friends. Um, I loved my training partners. I had, I was like, I had, well, my full-time job was, I, I was a, uh, I worked at a, a fitness center in Cincinnati and, um, I did like the graveyard shift, like the 4 a.m. shift to noon, because that was the only schedule I could make work with my training schedule. So I would work that shift, then I would lift and then go to the gym and like do my MMA training. And um, so that was my life. And I and I loved it. And then on the weekends, I worked at a restaurant. So um, and then I like and then I like taught classes at the gym to like pay my dues and whatnot. So I was a busy girl, but I was like loving life. And um, so when we met, um, yeah, like we just like connected like. Um, but yeah, he got mad at me because one day we were at the gym and we had a new member come in and I was like showing this new member around and like introducing them to the people that were there. And he got mad at me because I didn't introduce him as my boyfriend. I just said, oh, this is so-and-so. And, -so. and um, he it made him really angry. And he's like, can I talk to you outside? I'm like, oh, sure. Like not thinking anything of it. Um, and yeah, he was upset. And then like push came to shove. He was like in my face. And I like, pushed him out of my face. Cause I'm like, what are you doing? And then it was like a slap across the face. And that was like our first, uh, physical incident. And, um, I was just in shock that that had happened and didn't really know like what to say or do. I was just like, Oh my God. And I called my mom and I'm crying and, um, you know, and then he's like apologizing profusely and saying all the right things. And this is where that cycle begins. Right. So like you have like this, you know, some sort of abuse happening and then, you know, then they apologize and promise it'll never happen again. 
and then you go through like the honeymoon phase again and then it happens again so that was like yeah the beginning of like that cycle uh for us and so um i forgave them and it happened again and kept happening and so um but over over time i found myself becoming more isolated um to the point where like I quit one of my job. I, well, I quit my job at the fitness center because he always had a problem with me going to work. He always had a problem with me, like being around like good looking people. Like I was the first person I work at the front desk. And so I was the first person that everybody saw. Right. So like he was extremely jealous. He was really controlling. He didn't like what I wore. He, he didn't like the fact that I wore like workout gear um, and just always accused me of seeking attention for the things that I wore. Um, as you can see, I've always just worn stuff like this, but regardless, like it, it's nobody's place to tell, you know, um, you know, have such a problem with what I wear that I'm changing who I am to, to fit, you know, whatever it is they want me to be. So, um, but at this point I just, you know, um, yeah, I was like in love with him. So I was, and I didn't want to lose him because I was just like, oh, this is it. Like, oh, like I want to be like, I was determined to make it work and um, was willing to like overlook things because like we had all these plans together and oh, like he painted this like beautiful picture of a life that we could have together. And so that was always my focus so that when bad things did happen, I'm like, my mind would revert like right back to that and like, okay, like, you know, it's sort of like, you know, you know, with, I don't know how to describe it really, but like, it's like a, uh, I don't know how to look the word I'm looking for, but um, you, you want to like see yourself through, you want to like get to that point of like, yeah. but it, um, anyway, so I, and again, I'm just like, okay, well, that was my normal. Like, okay, I guess this is what people do. They fight and they make up, they fight and they make up and, or you're supposed to make up. And, um, but yeah, I always just lived these situations, just justifying his behavior. And, um, and then just got to a point where I was like, so isolated, like I quit my jobs and he always had a problem with me going to go, like going to training. So he didn't want me training. Um, he was just always on top of me, always had to know where I was, always checking in, um, always had to know who I was with to the point where I'm like, I don't want to be around anybody because I'm like, you get so sick of explaining yourself. So then you start like making decisions based on how like in fear of how they're going to react over every single little thing, not just of who I might be around, but it just got to a point where it's like. Yeah, you'd rather just be alone and isolated so you don't have to fight or explain yourself. So, um, but it happened gradually. And like my family noticed, um, I think I, I didn't until it was too late. And then I was pregnant. And then, um, so, but it got like our living situation got bad. He didn't like me working. So that's like another form of abuse, which is like financial abuse, where, um, yeah, like we're, you're not allowed to work and you can't have an income. So you don't really have, um, you're solely dependent on your, uh, your partner. So that was kind of me at that point. And I was dependent on him and he, like he was starting to become a bigger name, um, in MMA and, but he wasn't at that point where he could just train, um, full time, but he was refusing to work between fights because 
I know now that he just wanted to be on top of me, like over top of me all the time and controlling every single thing that I did. And I, uh, so I was just, you know, on eggshells at, at, at all times. Um, and so, yeah, it just, from there, because he was refusing to work, like we, uh, fell behind on like rent and bills. And eventually we got evicted from a house in Cincinnati and had to move close to his family in Tennessee because his family has a farm and they had a, uh, you know, a house that we could stay in on the property. So, so there I'm pregnant and even more isolated and I'm, you know, in East Tennessee where I don't know anyone except for his family. And um, yeah, people weren't, you know, exactly inviting like to me cause I'm, you know, I, I did experience like a lot of racism and stuff too. So I basically just like stayed in, in the house all the time or like wandered around the farm a little bit. And I mean, and, and I'll tell you like some days were nice. Cause like, you know, there's animals there, there's horses and I really enjoyed being pregnant. So, but they, you know, a lot of like the physical abuse happened when I was pregnant as well. And then he ended up getting a job offer. When well, I job offer, he met a guy and they like, wanted to partner up together and open up MMA schools inside of the fitness center here in Philadelphia. So that's what um, brought us to Philly. So then I was like even further away from my family at this point. I'm just like, what is happening? But I'm still like hellbent. Like, we're going to make this work. Like, let me just, you know, if I just keep being perfect, then maybe he'll change. And it doesn't really matter. And it doesn't, you know, it, it didn't matter because he still always found something wrong with what I did, um, no matter how perfect I was or tried to be. Um, he was always like trying to dig into my past to find something to hold over my head. Or there would be times where we would have like nice discussions about things. And he would ask me questions about my childhood or different things, like maybe in high school. And I'm thinking like, oh, like he wants to like know who I was like as a like you want to share that you want to share like who you are and um what made you be the person you are today with your partner a significant other um but he was strategic like he did it so that he could have something to like hold in his back pocket so that he could pull that out anytime he got mad at me or like it was just always something so once we moved to philly things were like a little rocky to start but then started getting really good and then we'd have like a really bad like phase of like the physical abuse again, like and like the, I was like like the the mental and emotional torture I experienced. It was it was a daily basis with him, um, and just like constantly beating me down, like I'm never good enough. Um, what kind of mom will I be? Like what can I teach our daughter because I don't have um, a formal education? Things like that just always kind of like making me feel like. Um, oh, you're you're a great person. You'll probably be a great mom, but like there was always that. Yeah, there was a time we had like a really bad um, incident when I was pregnant. I think I was like, I don't know, maybe six or seven months pregnant, and um, it involved like him, me, like in the bedroom trying to hold the door closed from him, and he like, like basically punched a hole like in the door and the door like hit my belly, like hit my head. My head was bleeding. I had marks on my belly and I wanted to go to the hospital, but he convinced me not to go because he was afraid of 
what the hospital might say or do, like calling the police. Um, and so he kept asking me, what, what, what was I going to say? Like, um, he was like really like a nervous wreck. And finally I was just like, like, I think I'm okay. And I think, you know, thankfully nothing was wrong with um, my daughter. So um, at that point, I just knew because it wasn't, it was, it always gets worse. Right. And you would think at a point like that, that you're like, he has no regard for a woman carrying his child. Um, so does he even really care about, you know, the baby? Like, so it's, it started to sort of settle in, set in with me that like, I don't want to be really in this relationship, but I didn't have like, I didn't know how to get out of it. And I didn't know like where to start. And I knew with someone like, like that, you can't just like, I'm leaving you. Like you can't because you'll get hurt um, and they'll threaten you. And um, yeah, so I just, um, kind of like lived in my own little pretend world and that was kind of like my safe place for a really long time and then when my daughter was born that was like I just poured everything into her all of my time and energy and um a lot of things that I did do to like kind of keep myself distant from him and mind you too like he was working like he would leave to go work at this like MMA thing and um so I was thankful for that. And then, but the times where like he wasn't, I uh, would try to like, you know, do like, so there was like this free like events calendar in Philly at the time that I would, you know, find things to do like for new moms or whatever. And I would, you know, find things to do to stay away from him. So, um, so as, you know, the years went on, like things would get worse and, um, he started abusing prescription medication and mixing that with steroid use and stuff like that. So it was like, as you could imagine, his behavior became even more erratic and just like really, really weird. But it was like, like an eerie feeling I felt all the time around him, like at any second, like he's going to flip out and you don't know how they're going to react. And it could just be something simple, like you could say the wrong thing. Like one time when Ronda Rousey started getting big and she was on the cover of the um, ESPN for the body issue, mm -hmm. I like made a comment. I was like, cause he was like bashing her and like, how dare she? And um, you know, like what kind of an example or role model is she? She's disgusting. Like all these things. And I'm like, I think it's wonder. I think she's great. So it was like, that was a bad move. You don't, I couldn't disagree with him. I always had to be agreeable to things um, or he'd get angry at me. And that sometimes these arguments would last days. And um, cause he couldn't just accept things for like what they were just like no, nothing could ever be what it seemed. Like he was always paranoid. He was always like, it was always like an agenda. So um, it was just, yeah. Um, and then finally, like things kind of came to a head uh, one year where like my I was like a like afraid for my life um, for the things that he was saying and, and uh, threatening me with. And and then ultimately told me to call my sister to have and tell to tell her to come from Cincinnati to Philadelphia to get myself and my daughter. And so I did. I called her and she came. She, she jumped on a flight and was there. And 
um, I basically hid in the bedroom until, uh, until she got there. Um, yeah, it, it ended up being like a whole ordeal where he like took our daughter that night. And then it just, then from there, that's when I started to learn about resources and like what situation I was actually in and what I was up against because he's, you know, people who, that are abusive and that are narcissists, they all are narcissists. Um, they, they, if, if they lose even the slightest bit of control over you, um, it's like the world is ending and they will do anything they possibly can to regain that control. And so, um, yeah, it, it was really hard. Um, when that whole ordeal started and um, I was threatened into signing a custody order that I didn't want to sign. Um, so then I was like really locked in and I lived in hell for the next year. Um, and then an incident happened and this was like the next, the following year, um, an incident happened where, um, and thankfully he was in New York at the time working like this odd, odd job. He would do like construction jobs here or there because like the MMA stuff fell through and um, just to kind of keep us afloat. Yeah. He would take on just random jobs. And uh, at the time he was uh, working for his friend that was in the union in New York. And so it was mother's day and he just was like going in on me. Like Selena and I had the best day that day and he just called me um, and was just like going in on me, like saying these most like horrible things. I'm like, okay, he's having like an episode, but something over me, like it was just like something really calm came over me and I'm not sure what it was. And very similar to the year previous that I was describing before of like, um, where he was just like manic and I was, I felt really calm, but I was like, of course I was like afraid. And, but I felt like the only way I could make good decisions in that situation was if I was calm and not saying or doing things out of like fear or like, um, you know, like emotion. So I felt that feeling again. And I was just like, I, I wasn't giving him what he wanted from me. What he wanted me to do was to apologize for, for something I didn't do or to be like, Oh, okay. So it's all right. We'll get through like that whole like thing. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. I didn't say that to him, but I just, my reaction was, okay. I don't know what you want me to do right now. Um, and that's what I kept saying. I don't know what you want me to do. And he made him more angry, more angry because I wasn't like sobbing and like begging for his forgiveness. Um, Cause that's like, you know, big thing with like gaslighting too. They like make you think you're the crazy one or they'll stir, stir something up and then like flip it and make it seem like it's your fault or that you're the cause of it. And then you find yourself apologizing and then often feeling like you really did cause it. And like, then you feel crazy and it's, it's this insane um, world I lived in. And so, yeah, I just was like, oh, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't know what to do. So then I, come home. I call my mom and I finally was just like, I told her like what had been happening and she just was beside herself and that, um, you know, couldn't believe that I didn't reach out to, to family, but I just, I don't know how I could have. I just, I hid because I was first of all, like humiliated and embarrassed. And I just like, I didn't, I didn't know what to say. And, 
but I knew I needed help. I just didn't know how to, to ask for it. And I wasn't aware of resources at that time. Um, but now I was because, you know, the previous year I, you know, it involved me having to call the, the police and all that. And, you know, they don't really get into domestic disputes. They just refer you to family court and give you the resources. And so I uh, ended up um, leaving uh, Philadelphia, my mom, because because we were supposed to go to a wedding. That's what he was working um, that weekend so that we could afford to go to his friend's wedding in Cincinnati. So that was like a big relief for me because I wanted to see my family. I hadn't seen them that whole year. And so uh, uh, my mom suggested that we like leave a little early for the trip and um, we go to the wedding and figure things out, you know, after the fact. And so I thought that was a good idea. So she sent us money for a, a train ticket. I did not tell him we were leaving because I knew he would find a way from New York and not let us leave because that's happened before. So I just... I didn't tell him anything until we were on the train leaving. I said, oh, by the way, like, you know, any normal person, you could be like, hey, I'm going to see my family. And it would be perfectly normal and a, a normal thing to do, but not 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 in my situation. And so um, from there, I was called everything in the book you could imagine, like, um, you know, even a piece of kidnapping my daughter. But it got to the point where I, so I had like a, by the way, he's broken like every car windshield, like of every car that we ever owned, just to like insert his dominance. Like he'd get angry at me. And if we were driving, he would punch the windshield. Um, and so they always ended up cracked. He broke and smashed every single phone that I owned. So unless like he was leaving town, he would always get me one of those like prepay phones so that he could keep track of us. And so I had one of those when I left for Cincinnati and I'm like, the memory kept filling up so fast. And I'm like, something dawned on me. Like I have to document this somehow. And so the only way for me to document it was to, so uh, one of my smashed phones, it was still like usable to play games on. So that's what my daughter had. She was using it to play games, keep her busy. And so I had to take that from her so I could use the camera on my that phone to take pictures and then delete so that more messages can come through. So it was 17 hours of nonstop messages. I mean, I have thousands. I still have the boxes in my basement of because we used them all for um, for evidence in court eventually. I mean, thousands and thousands, like tens of thousands of text messages from him. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And I'm just like, I could not. Then I started like thinking I had to start being like smart about like, okay, so I know I don't want to be in this situation anymore. So how do I, like, what steps do I need to take? So then I started like, you know, reading and doing like my own research. And, you know, of course for me, like, especially for my daughter, like when you make a decision like that, I, I was, I want to do things properly. Like, okay, we'll go to court. Like we'll have shared custody and like whatever we got to do to make this work. But I knew I did not want to be in that situation anymore. And I knew that I wanted to be close to my family. So um, that would mean I would have to go through the process of um, relocating in family court, um, which is a really hard, like it's a tough process in Philly to, to, to have that, um, granted. So 
which I was not aware of. But anyway, so like very, very long story short, um, when I got to Ohio, um, I was he was sending me like headings of uh, like court documents. He wouldn't send like show me anything else. So I'm like, is this a Google image? Is he trying to like fuck with me? Like I didn't know what to think. And so I start making calls to family court and asking questions like, is there, you know, do I have a court hearing? Like telling them all my information. They're like, oh, we don't have anything. There's no cases open. Like we don't have anything on the dockets. And I'm like, okay, so he's messing with me. He's trying to scare me. And eventually like I contact an attorney and my my family, I don't come from a lot of money, but um, you know, my family has their small business owners and they ended up having to take a loan out on their business to hire an attorney for all of this. So it ended up being like a few years of us, um, you know, going through this whole custody issue. But through that, um, it was just a matter of him using anything he could to like rip my life apart to make it as hard as he possibly could for me so that I would have no choice but to go back to him. And a lot, a lot of abusers will do that. Like, well, she has nothing. Like, what is she? She has to come back to me. And then I have control again. And, um, but I just refused. I'm like, I, I'm, and if I go back, he's going to kill me. Like, what's going to, like, really, I can just go back. And it's not, I, I was like, there's, there's got to be a better, like, there's got to be a way to, to get out of this, like, alive. And so, we, I ended up homeless because our lease renewal came up while we were in Ohio and he signed the lease renewal without my name on it and got rid of all my things. I had nothing. All I had was the bag that I packed for like the few days when we went to Ohio because I had every intention of going back home um, until he reacted the way that he did. And um, at that point, he's too afraid to go home. And then like some days he would say, oh, stay, just stay there. I'll bring your stuff. And then like hours later, you're kidnapping our daughter. Like you need to get back here. There's an emergency order. There's people looking for you, things like that. And I, so eventually we found out that there was uh, a court hearing that he had uh, filed uh, an emergency return of our daughter, um, which anybody can file. And, but things just have to be proven in court. You, in order to get it written off by a judge, you have to make the judge believe that the child is like in immediate danger. And he said some nasty, nasty things um, that if anybody heard that they would say, oh my God, like get this, like we need to save this, this child. And so they can just like say that with no like evidence or no proof. It's just, mm -hmm. oh, wow. Yeah. And he's so crazy that it's like, who would lie about something like this? Some of the things that he said, but you, you know, I, I learned that family court, a lot of things you can just say and people just, okay, well, it sounds like why it just sounds so convincing that it's like, people trust me in the beginning all the family court judges we i mean countless 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 court hearings and it took years before we finally got before a judge who took one look at our case and like canceled his entire docket for the day so we were his first and last court hearing it was eight hours of testimony interviews um my family came his family was there like it was a really big deal um, and here we are eight years later and 
my, uh, I still keep in touch with my attorney and she said that people still talk about our case and how insane things got. Um, because he's a crazy one. Everything we went through, I was agreeable to. I'm like, okay. And he'd be like, no, no, I don't want that now. Like he always would like switch it up because he wanted me to like fight and beg. And I just, I just wouldn't. I, uh, and he would, you know, use our daughter as a pawn. He tried, he would try to, um, he would use her to hurt me, um, and things like that. But it, it just got to a point. So yeah, we were homeless, um, and I was isolated for so long. So I didn't know, like I had nobody really that I could reach out to. I reached out to some people um, because I got to a point, my family was paying for hotels for us. So that's how we were like living for a little bit. And then finally someone who I used to, uh, that used to help me with Selena at the gym uh, agreed to let us stay with her and her, her dad. And so that gave us some shelter for, uh, you know, in a safe place to stay for, I don't know, a few weeks probably um, until he found out where we were and he started harassing her to the point where she was convinced that like, I, like it was me, like he was, he was so like master manipulator, hundred percent. And I just, it got bad. So she kicked me out. Um, one morning I woke up to text messages from her and she's like, you need to leave. And, and while, mind you, while I was staying with her, that's how I learned about women against abuse. That's where I really like dove into resources and, you know, making all my calls every day, just trying at everything to, to find a solution for, for my daughter and I, and, um, and one that was safe, um, because I did not want to go to a city shelter did not want to go to city city shelter. And so um, every day I caught women against abuse every single day for weeks. And so, um, yeah, it, I just, I was like rejected every, every single day. I was like, all right, try again tomorrow. That was me. I was like knocking on doors left and right every day until, I mean, I know it's not a funny thing to joke about now, but I just like, you know, sometimes when I talk about it, I'm like, man, I was like that crazy lady that like they're that they're finally like, just just give her what she wants. <laughs> like, she leaves us. But I know that's not the case. It's just like, you know, resources are limited, but that's how I felt. I felt like I was just like, I mean, literally every single day, multiple times a day, calling the same people, crying, begging and um all while trying to keep it together for my daughter and like trying to maintain like some normalcy for her. And um, just so that, I mean, kids are so like intuitive and they can feel like the stress. Um, so I just, yeah, I, it was, it was uh, definitely a tough road. Um, but yeah, he found out where we were. She kicks us out, threatens to call DHS, like all these things. I'm like, what is happening? And uh, so at that point, she tells him like where she lives. He shows up there in a cab. And at that time, at that point, I had acquired more belongings because my mom was sending us care packages. And so I had like a lot of stuff. I mean, not a lot, but just like definitely more than what I came there with. And um, uh, I... <laughs> remember seeing him and he like pulls out his phone. He's taking videos of me, like bringing all my stuff out, putting it on the sidewalk and like loading it into this cab. 
and I had no idea like where I was going. Um, but I ended up, we're in the cab with him and driving back to like downtown Philly. And I'm like, I'm like not speaking a word. And he says to me, you better think quick, think, think fast on your feet because all this shit's going to be on the, on the curb when we get back. I was like, Oh, Oh my God. So I made a call to my mom and she's like, I, she's like, we can't afford another hotel, like begging her. So I guess like she had to make calls to get the money to pay for another night for us. And I'm at, I'm at, we're in the hotel. He's there. Like he would not like leave our side. And I'm like praying that the, um, you know, the person working at the desk will just take a look, just make eye contact with me, please. Cause I just wanted them to see that I was in danger, um, or that I needed help. And, uh, they just, you know, <laughs> it's not their fault, but I'm just like, oh. um, and then I'm like, please don't see the room number. Please don't see the room number. And they're like, you're in room, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Shit. And then he insists on like taking, like he's, to the outside person, if anybody was in line behind us, they're like, oh, that's a nice guy. Look, he's helping them. And, oh, he's a good dad or a good husband or whatever. And I'm thinking, like, I'm in fear for my life at this point. I mean, more than I ever had been. Um, and uh, and I'm fear for my daughter. And so um, get to the room, and he's just, like, interrogating me, like – just would not leave the room. This went on for hours and I'm begging him, please leave because I was losing my time, the time I needed to like make my calls and um, calling hotlines and different things to get help. And he wouldn't leave the, the, the room. And so um, finally I had like, I got kind of stern with him. This, you know, my daughter was crying. She's ready for bed. And, and then he goes, well, if you're a little bit nicer, I would offer to help. And then he like left the room. I was like, Okay. Like it was actually a relief, even though I'm like, you know, in the position I was in, I'm like, thank God. I, w I was so happy he left. And then, so most of that night I spent, you know, making my calls and then woke up early. And a lot of my communication with him was via email. And I, that was something I always, any communication I had with him, obviously, unless we were in person, um, I was very strategic so that you know, it was either like email or text so that I could um, document it and then I could have it to go back on. I, I mean, I wrote everything down every day. I kept a journal. I have like um, three or four journals that I wrote in every single day throughout this whole thing, which I hope to publish one day. And um, but it, it's kind of sad when I read it because. Um, my like the way that I wrote it, like my wording was sort of how I would write a police statement because I, I wrote it that way because I wanted people or like the police, like if something did happen to me so that it was a statement, you know, where they could yeah. use it that way. So it was like, that kind of makes me sad when I, when I, I don't read it often, but when I do, I'm like, wow. So, um, so yeah, I that so it's like if it's one thing, you know, for people going through this and, and it's not even maybe you won't use it and maybe you don't know if it's ever gonna be helpful to you, but it's I it's 
therapeutic for one. Um, but also it's just, it's good to have it because it's, it's documented. And um, so I always wrote like, you know, what day it was, the time of day. And then I would just write my day out and um, in the form of how I, how I chose to. So um, anyway, I, uh, that next day, um, and it, you've watched my documentary before, and there was like a part in it where I had said like, we experienced what homelessness was like. And I mean, we, I mean, had already, but like, I know what that feels like when you see those people pushing their carts on the street, just aimlessly, like you have nowhere, like you're homeless, like pushing a cart and like whatever possessions you have. And um, I know what that feels like because, you know, after I stayed at the hotel until they forced me to leave. I had nowhere to go. And I'm like, oh, so I had emailed him and asked him um, what, uh, um, because at our apartment, well, my old apartment was in that neighborhood and it was like a shared basement with the other tenants. And so I had emailed him and asked him if we could at least put our things in the basement until I could like figure out something for us. And at which point, like, here's your kid doesn't have anywhere to go, but you're not offering, like you have friends. He was, he had plenty of places he could have gone for at least a couple of days until I, or however long till I figured it out. Like, yeah, okay. Here's the apartment. <laughs> um, as long as, you know, he just didn't care. So stayed at the hotel till they made me leave. Um, he wasn't answering my email. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go there and maybe a neighbor will let me in. So I'm walking and at the time Selena was four. Um, I remember just holding her hand cause I had all of our shit piled on the stroller. Um, I'm just like pushing it, holding her hand, trying to like make light of how beautiful of a day it was. Or like, oh, just making conversation with her. So she just wouldn't even maybe notice or question so we're walking, walking, and I, a cab driver stops me. He's like, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, like, why now is somebody trying to like, is it, you know, the cat calling and stuff. And I'm thinking that's what it was. And I just was ignored him, kept walking. And he was like, then he asked if I was okay. Um, and he kept calling me ma'am. So I was like, he goes, are you okay? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, he's like, well, he's like, he's like, you're being followed. And he like described my ex down to his tattoo and said that he had been following us and he watched and follow. And he said, he just ran off that way and pointed toward our, uh, the apartment where we were headed. I'm just like, oh my God. Uh, so I get to the door, I'm knocking on the door, knocking on the no answer. So then I like, open the mail slot and I look at the mail slot and he's just standing in the hallway, like staring at the door. Like it was so freaky. I'm like, Oh my God. And so got him to open the door. I was like, listen, like, and I had put, turn my phone on the uh, video in case something happened. I was like, can you please let us see for stuff down? So like, he was like, okay. And I made it very obvious. I had the video on and um, put our things in the basement and it was fine. Um, took Selena to the playground. She played while I made more calls and I'm calling like 
you know, universities where they have like, you know, programs and attorneys you can talk to and different things. And I just was getting, I was like getting nowhere fast, nowhere fast. And um, was feeling pretty defeated by that point, just exhausted. I had lost my normal like walking around is anywhere between like one, you know, I'm around like 130, um, healthy. And uh, I I was like 90 something pounds at that time. I had lost so much weight. Like I, w- I didn't recognize myself. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I just was, yeah, so defeated. I was like, felt weak, defeated. I'm like, what do I do? And my mom was just, listen, you've got to go to like, you need to find a shelter. You have to go to Red Cross, call a church. You got to do something. She's like, we just, I, she's like, we can't afford any more hotels. And just like, oh my God. Um, And so I was on my way to Red Cross, but I had stopped at the apartment to um, get some of our belongings. And uh, which was a mistake. I probably should have packed a small, like, you know, a little overnight bag and kept it with us in the shoulder so we wouldn't have to go back there. But I wasn't really thinking he would have, he was going to do what he did. And uh, especially since when we left the apartment, there wasn't like an issue when I left my stuff there. He was just being a weirdo. And so um, I, yeah, get back there and there ends up being like, he's in the basement with us and he was just like really on edge. And I was tried to keep Selena close to me by making, you know, a game out of like the packing, like, oh, find your favorite, you know, stuffy, find, oh, get your favorite jammies and, oh, where's your, you know, and she had, we loved going to the library. So they always had like a free book section. So anytime we went, I would like grab a free book so that she, you know, we had things to do and, um, and she loved to read. So, um, yeah, I was like, oh, get your favorite book, all the things. And then I ended up, you know, because because I knew if she got close enough to him, he would grab her. And that's what happened. And uh, I was begging him, please, you know that you can't, you know, care for her right now. Please, please, please. And then it got uh, physical and he was, you know, had his form behind. So he was on a few stairs up and I was still in the, the basement ground and he was um, holding our daughter was like crouched over me and he was like, had his forearm on the back of my neck and was trying to like slam my my head to the uh, to the steps. And I'm like screaming like for him to stop. And, um, and then he just lets go. And um, he gives, Celine had her arms out to me. So she, I took her and then he screamed, Jamie, don't do that. You'll hurt her. Like things like that. So obviously now I know that so somebody could hear him. And then if the police were called, it was on me. And so I just, I, I run up the steps. I run out of the basement and run outside. There was a police station, um, close by. So like I had checked Selena, um, to make sure she wasn't like injured, things like that. And so like I run to this police station and, um, I, as soon as I walk through the door, I'm like crying, I'm telling them what had just happened. And Within minutes, they a 911 call was received that um, I had pushed him down the steps and that he had injuries um, backing up his story. But me, knowing him and what he's done in the past, like there were times where he would um, 
like he would hit me or do something like, you know, choke me or hit me with something. And I would threaten to call the police and he would hit himself and say that he would tell them that I hit him first. So it was like, oh, self-defense. Um, so I knew, I knew in my heart that is exactly what he did. He did something to himself to make it look like he was pushed or, you know, whatever. And so, um, so the police arrested me and gave my daughter to him. And uh, that was just, I've never been arrested in my life. I had never, I had asked him to do it in the back room. So it wasn't in, done in front of her. Um, and I sat in a holding cell for a few hours and a detective came down and she had said to me, listen, she's like, we've spoken to him and you have the right to speak to us or you can waive your right to speak to us and go before the judge. And she's like, I highly recommend you speak to us. We, she, she said, we really want to hear like your side of the story. So I didn't really think anything of that at the time. Um, so I get to her office and literally like there's domestic violence awareness posters and like all these, like she was clearly an advocate and had knowledge. And I honestly, I felt, even though I was sitting in like a chair, handcuffed to this chair, I'm like, I felt a sense of like relief knowing that here's somebody that understands and, and, and wants to hear what I like, wants to hear what happened. And so I told her everything and, um, and then they took me back down to the holding cell and then uh, let me go within like, I don't know, 40 minutes or so they're like, oh yeah, you can leave. And so thankfully I wasn't like processed. There was no like no mug shots, thankfully. And, uh, but most importantly, like clearly they believed me and they let me go. And so straight from there, mind you, I had not slept. I was in a holding cell on like a tiny bench. One woman, she was, had just shot somebody. So she was accused of homicide. There was another woman to my right who was like withdrawing from whatever drugs that she was on. And I'm just like, I, I, Anyway, I was exhausted. I jumped on the bus, convinced the bus driver to make an exception for me. I had no money. I had no clothes. I had nothing. Um, I just had a piece of paper to, um, that I took with me to go file for an emergency PFA at the uh, like the main police station in Philly. And so he let me on. I go there, file it. But then like the next part of that would be to serve him. And he made himself invisible. Like he disappeared, he and my daughter. So... Um, but then, you know, over time, then I learned that he counterfiled against me. It was like a whole thing. And it was just, so that was sort of like the beginning of our, uh, you know, family court issues. And then like the litigation abuse, what they call is, you know, how they'll drag the, the victim through the court system and, uh, you know, make it very, very difficult. So I was like, painted to be they say they don't look at poverty as a crime or like as a um a reason to you know for the other parent to not have like custody of the child but they do they, they take it into account and he had money he had you know money from his family so they had the best attorneys um all the things so we ended up going to like our first pfa hearing and mind you i'm still making calls to women against abuse trying to get into the safe haven still and um, my my dad, who I hadn't had a relationship with in years, um, 
my sister had called him and he ended up coming up with my sister because my sister wanted to be, you know, support me and come to the hearing. And um, that was the first time I had seen my dad in a really long time. And um, for him to come for that reason was like really awesome. and It meant a lot to me. So um, we went to court and my PFA was, um, was granted. And right after, right after the hearing, I was, um, I got the call from Women Against Abuse that we had a, a room at the safe haven. So um, my dad and sister drove me to the location. And at this point, I still didn't have, um, you know, I, I had like um, uh, my my daughter was still like, he still had her. So anyway, we, we drove to the location and um, yeah, that was like my first time there. And it was it was rough, but then I'm like, all right, well, I'm here. So what am I going to do about it? Like, it's not my fault that I'm here, obviously, but like now I have everything I need to like fight this. I have shelter, I have food, all the things that we take for granted. I was like, so just, it was a, a gift. Yes. It was like, so having the feeling of just, I don't know just feeling safe uh, and just having that burden lifted. And uh, yeah, I'm like, all right, so now, now I can fight. And I fought every single day, even though I was painted a picture, he lied his way through court, like to the point where I'm like, um, yeah, I, I was a bad one for, for many years and people, they were believing him because he was so good at manipulating that, who, who, the things that he was saying, it's like, who would lie about that? Like, it was just too crazy and too, sounded too real for someone to make up. And, uh, but yeah, people believed him. And, um, so yeah, it just sort of, like I said, it was years before we ended up, uh, I mean, a lot more stuff happened between, um, that point and, um, finally, uh, transitioning out of the safe haven. I still didn't have custody, like full custody of my daughter at that point. Um, but once I transitioned out, um, you know, I mean, I was like training even, I was still at the safe haven. I like, I like forced myself to start training again. So then that's when I really started to like gain momentum when I could see myself changing and um, like through martial arts and what that gave me and the strength that it gave me. And honestly, people knew our situation, but they didn't know that I was in a safe haven, my daughter and I. And um, I didn't want, I didn't want people to know because I didn't want people, I didn't feel sorry for myself. So I didn't want other people feeling sorry for me because then it's easier to fall into like a victim mode where it's like, oh, like maybe I'm so sorry. Like, no, like, no, I'm just gonna focus and train. And, um, you know, I, had discussions with people about our situation, but not about my living situation. And so, um, yeah, that was just like training every day. Like just, yeah, it was when I think about it now and like what it took for me to go train, like it took me, you know, cause I didn't have a car. I still didn't have, I couldn't work because like any job that he was, he stopped me for a really long time. Um, to the point where like I would try to get a job and then he would hear about it through like 
I mean, Philly is such, even though it's so massive, it's still a small town, especially when you're involved in the same, you know, for us, it was, you know, the MMA community. And so, of course, I was like reaching out to people from gyms and different things like, oh, I'm looking for work. And then it would get back to him. And then he would like somehow sabotage it for me. So it was just like, I can't even, I still couldn't work and it was crazy. So anyway, um, yeah, I just ended up, I knew that I remember having a conversation with my mom. <sighs> Let's see. Not, it was not that long after I started training. Yeah. I'm like, there's gotta be, I was like, I started thinking like, why isn't there a program like some sort of like a self-defense program or why isn't there like, why isn't this part of the program that they use to, you know, help people like rebuild and, I think self-defense is a very important aspect of, you know, being in the situation we were in. And so, um, and not necessarily like learning how to physically defend yourself because that's the last thing you want to do is fight back against somebody bigger and stronger than you who can only see red and wants to freaking murder you. So I, uh, you know, it's just more of like, which I'll discuss a little more about like, you know, the work I'm doing um, in that area. So um, it's just more about like being aware or recognizing a situation and understanding like, okay, is this going to escalate? And how can I remove myself from the situation? So maybe I can lessen the, um, you know, the likelihood of getting hurt or like, how can I yeah, there's there's ways to 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 manage certain situations. Um, so I, um, yeah, I sort of was like, well, why isn't there like my, my my mind started working right? So I'm like, man, let's have my mom. I was like, we should. I was like, I should start something like that here. My mom's like, listen, you need to like, I love that you're thinking like this. She's like, but you really need to get yourself right before you can essentially pour into somebody else's cup. So I'm like, all right, well, that made sense. And so, um, yeah. So once I transitioned out of the shelter, like, um, you know, I was, uh, actually living at my, um, once I, so a situation happened when I was at the safe haven where they wanted to transfer me to an, a, another shelter, but that wasn't, um, associated with women against abuse. And I was like, uh, -uh because it was men were also there and I just didn't feel comfortable. And I didn't feel comfortable, like coming out of like, this whole, like, I had rebuilt a lot and I felt really safe and like just very supported where I was. And I was like, I don't want to disrupt that. And so I felt scared and really uncomfortable. And I had called my attorney. I'm like, I, I, no, I was like, can you please help me like not let this happen? So then at that point was when I called Daniel, my coach, Daniel Gracie, and told him about, because I was afraid and I didn't know where I was, I didn't want to end up at it like a, anywhere other than what I, where I was. And he was like, I can't believe you didn't tell me like all these things. He's like, no, this can't happen. You're not staying there. You're coming here tonight, today. You're, he's like, you're not staying there anymore. And because uh, at the time we had a uh, apartments attached to our gym where, you know, if like people would want to come do their camps there or he'd fly in coaches and different things like that. And so there was an empty room there. He's like, no, you're you're not staying there. And uh, yeah, I ended up moving out. And so that was how I transitioned out. Um, and then from there, I like, you know, I was able to, I got a job where I felt like 
very secure and safe. Uh, so I was like working all the time when I didn't have my daughter, um, working and training. Um, and because he was so psycho and he tried to make it sound like the, um, the apartment wasn't safe where I was living. So I had to do my, my visits when I did have my daughter, I had, um, a friend of mine who was on our team was, um, would leave his apartment and give us his apartment so that I would have like, no, like it's safe. Like this is where, you know, cause at the time too, I was like made to be the bad guy. And I had to on, I was on defense mode all the time, always explaining myself and for what, like I'm a good mom, you know, my kid is safe. Like I was not doing anything, uh, other than trying to rebuild my life after everything that had happened. And, um, so anyway, um, yeah, so I was living there for a while. I was able to save up a ton of money and got my own apartment and, um, and then got that King of the Cage title fight and won a title. And it was pretty awesome. And then from there, it took me like a couple years, but I knew I just, I, I always wanted to give back. I didn't want going through what I went through and being able to come out of it the way that I did. I'm like, why isn't there? Not that it's it's supposed, it's, it's not supposed to be easy. It's never going to be easy getting out of something like that. And then on top of it, essentially like being successful and just like being able to like help other people. Like it's, it takes a lot to do that. And uh, I'm like, not that it should have been easier for me, but like in terms of like certain things, I think there should be, there's a lot of gray areas, I think, and a lot of gaps that could be filled by people who, um, can help others like navigate through that because a lot of things I just, I learned as I went, I had to learn as I went and, um, a lot of, a lot of it. And so, um, I ended up, it took me around two years to like really heal and feel like I was in a good place to give back. So, um, I ended up coming back to approaching women against abuse a couple years later with this idea that I wanted to teach self-defense at the safe haven. And, um, and they loved it. <laughs> and so they gave me one day a week to come there. And sometimes my daughter would come and I had a partner um, in that. And she was, her job was to occupy the kids and have activities and things to keep the kids busy so that you know, those who were parents could just really dive into that self-care that they need, just like that me time and then feeling just strong and empowered and having those moments without feeling distracted. And not that, I mean, come on, we love our kids, but we, we need that time, especially when you're in that shit, like, and then we don't ever have that time. Like, come on. So yeah, she had, she was helping with the kids and then I was just there, like, and every day looked different. Every day that I was like there teaching, um, sometimes I'd have like, I don't know, 20 people in a class and other times I'd have no people in a class and sometimes I'd have just a handful. And I, I really wanted to approach it where like, what do you guys want to do? Sometimes um, like my bigger classes, I, you know, we, we worked like we trained, we, I, I was teaching and then other times we, they'd want to sit and talk. And they'd want to hear more about like my journey. And um, so I just, I kind of, I didn't want to like approach it. Like I was, and I don't think I'm any better than anybody else who's gone through it. I'm just, you know, decided to 
you know, use, use my experiences to give back. And um, so, yeah, um, that went on. And then, you know, my, as my career gained momentum and it was just like a conflict, my, my schedule and then COVID and then all the things and um, it just, uh, but that was, it was really, um, I'm really grateful for that opportunity to be able to give back because that was when I really realized how impactful my story was and how much of a difference just by like sharing my experiences because it, you feel really alone in, in those moments, the really dark moments, even though you know, like, okay, you're in a shelter with people who are also abused, but it's just something about how you talk about it and, and the way you share your story. So yes, bad, really bad things happen to us, but you know, I, I, I think it's really all comes down to perspective. And, um, and I, I kind of look at myself now that like, you know, I'm, maybe I had to go through that so that I can be who I am and help other people. Like, I don't know. So anyway, I just, um, through that, I started building a really strong relationship with women against abuse and, um, just became a really, uh, sort of like a little force in the community. And I was very active in like community outreach and um, anywhere they needed like a volunteer help. Like I was always the first person like they would reach out to and um, any like sort of events and things like that. And then it sort of evolved into me um, doing speaking engagements and um, being part of the um, like the, the trainings that they do for um, new advocates and staff members and volunteers for the organization. So I, I became, I, I helped facilitate, and I still do that um, on a quarterly basis where I yeah, facilitate the classes for that and share my story um, as uh, um, like an expert, like representative person. I don't, I don't even know my, my exact <laughs> but anyway, um, so and then through that, I started building relationships with traveling to like Harrisburg and speaking at the Capitol and um, being part of, um, you know, speaking on, um, you know, budget issues and how important it is to maintain our budget so that we can keep our programs running. And because um, I feel like one one thing it's it's a collective right so like one thing doesn't work without the other in my eyes like it, we have like everything in in this program is is essential to to the next thing so um being part of that and then through that like just building relationships with like legislators and state reps and just being being part of what they're doing in the community so it was really just like this really beautiful snowball effect and i just really gained momentum and um yeah. And then um, through that, I became like an official advocate for women against abuse. And then now, oh, geez, like last year I was I got a call that I was nominated for the board of directors. They're like, well, your name kind of came up uh, in a meet in a, a board meeting. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I wasn't it was very unexpected. And but I was so flattered and like me like which is crazy like to think about it now because I'm like, I I just, I'm just a person who just wants to help another person and I don't know. So anyway, I was, um, yeah, I got voted in. So I'm actually the first um, former like uh, client 
of Women Against Abuse, um, who is a like survivor advocate, to be um, to serve on the board of directors, and I'm also serving on the programs committee as well. And um, yeah, and 50 years of operating, I, I don't know. I just find that very fascinating, and I'm like, I think it's kind of cool to say, <laughs> um, but it, it, it has to be like. Aside from being a mom, I think one of my greatest uh, accomplishments to be, to, I don't know. Yeah, it's, and I always like say, oh, full circle. Like, I mean, I've spoken at like massive press conferences. Like I've, I've done a lot like in the community and, and working with um, uh, some of our senators to um, advocate for um, new ed, uh new uh bills to get passed and things things of that nature and i'm like wow that's amazing oh full full circle oh it's this but then i'm like it's just i i i wrote about it i'm like man i always think it's like full circle full circle like oh this is a full circle moment like but i don't know i always i think about it now it's just i feel like each thing is just kind of a milestone and it's just like a continuation of like this journey that i'm on and you know, wanting to like impact as many people as possible and to just give people hope and, and um, just surround people with like love and light and to show them that, you know, there is a way out um, and it can be scary, but if you just, you know, take the leap, right. With anything you, you, you learn how to fly on your way down. And it's, it, it's like either that, or you like, for me, I think I just kind of saved my own life by like, all right, well, I'm about to lose. I did lose everything. I fucking lost everything, but I was willing to do that because I refused to go back to him because I knew what what the end result would be. And I thought, I can't let that happen because then it's not worth it for my daughter to, to be without me. And um, it just, that was like my driving force through so much of this was just, was hurt. And, um, and then, you know, she deserves that. She deserves to have a healthy mom, a healthy, a healthy life, a happy life, and to do the things that she wants to do. And she, man, she has a story that she could write many books, what she experienced with her dad and, and the shit we had to go through that was so unnecessary for her because our court system is so flawed that, oh, it's, oh, they always say it's in the best interest of the child, but they don't, it, it's just, it's not. <laughs> and it was, it was a grueling, grueling fight. It was a fucking fight. And I'm glad I kept fighting. And my mom was like, listen, she's like, just keep telling the truth and just keep doing the right thing. And eventually, eventually it's going to shift. And it did. And then it, it was, uh, yeah, like I said, it took years before we got in front of that judge that was like, what the? he's like, it should never have gotten that far. Should have never gotten that far. And um, so, yeah, that's sort of like, <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> so as you were, <laughs> as, as you're going through and, and telling your story, I'm over here marking off everything because I had questions uh -huh. and I was just mark off, okay, and answered, 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 oh. <laughs> that's answered, that's answered, cool. I don't have to ask that, cool. So, um, no, that, Jamie, you're amazing. Uh, like just hearing that story, the roller coasters, you know, of that, just being a listener to that. I, I was over here, you know, going through emotions of my emotions of my own, listening to the story as I'm 
you know, going from like, you know, you know, the first instance you, you hear it starting up and it's like, you know, oh, that's concerning. And then you hear the next person, like, then it started getting angry. Like I'm over here, like clawing at like, you know, the like quilts and stuff like, yeah. you know, the, and then, you know, I started getting emotional, like, you know, kind of teary eyed at some points. It was like, wow, this, like you took me, like you just took me to Cedar Point just now, and I, I, I just went on all the roller coasters. Um, yeah. As as an advocate, um, in in your role, um, right now, just for everyone, um, you know that that's it's amazing, and it sounds, you know, you know, it's just crazy to see, you know, where you came from, yeah. how you got there. And, and then ending up, you know, because you never gave up, because you kept fighting, because you kept pushing through. And um, I don't know, it, it's fascinating to hear. And I'm glad that, you know, on the other end of it, you and your daughter came out of it yeah. um, where you are. So, um, you know, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, with with myself and, and the listeners here, um, I guess you know one of the questions that I want to ask um, also in terms of resources and you know because you know for you it, it, it was you know just had to keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking. Um, you know for anyone listening or you know that may know someone in the situation or if a listener may, you know, think they're in a situation where they may actually know for a fact that they're um, in a situation where they need to get out. Um, you know, what are some resources or, you know, what what types of things, you know, would you suggest? Because um, I, I would imagine it's not an easy thing as, you know, hearing your story and, you know, Having seen my mom and her situations, you know, in my own childhood, you know, it, you know, on the outside, it, you know, it seems like there's a thought of like, just leave or just yeah. do this. And it's like, oh, just leave. Like, it's it not, doesn't, it's not that it's easy. It's not that simple. It really um, is not that simplistic. Yeah. Not as easy as like, it sounds. Like, um, I guess, uh, you know, for any of us also listening as mm -hmm. well, like, how can we help? You know, how can, you know, someone help if they are aware? Yeah, I mean, if they're aware, I would, you know, obviously just be a listener um, and not to question, like, I, I've heard a question a lot of like, well, what did she do to make him so angry? You know, and that's not, and that's not the case. And if somebody did say something to make somebody angry, it doesn't merit being abused. I mean, there's a difference between having an argument or, you know, something happening that somebody might regret. And it's not in the, it doesn't fall in the real, I mean, yeah, like things happen sometimes, but it's not like a persistent thing, like a consistent thing that happens over and over. And you're not going through like these like cycles, but like once you start to recognize that there's a cycle and that this is kind of like 
how your life is. I mean, I think it's important to just, you know, if somebody knows that they're in it, yeah, just, just listen to them. Like, you know, just offer them, you know, like let them know you're there for them. I mean, there are, there's resources everywhere. There's people waiting to help. Um, uh, I, I always suggest to people to call the hotline. Um, there's a national domestic violence um, hotline, which is all, all of which, all of like the major hotlines are listed on my, my link tree and my Instagram page. Um, but you can find them with like a simple Google search. A lot of organizations now offer like a texting feature so that um, if you don't want to call, you can text. Um, a lot of sites also have a setting where um, that's like, it's like another safety feature where you can like exit out of it right away. And there's like no history that you like research this particular site um, in case you're being like, you know, watched. Yeah. So um, yeah, there, there's so many, like I said, resources. So I would just, you know, be a listening ear and offer them resources. Um, if, if it's somebody who knows they need to get out and they want to get out, there are safety, there's what we call safety plans um, that can be implemented. So you can call, you know, a hotline or get in touch with an advocate um, or call an organization. They have, um, they can like help you create a safety plan that which will, that can help you get to safety. Um, you know, people who, and also like sort of enforce um, people who that you deem to be like a safe person in your life that can help you um, navigate through that. And um, so, yeah, all, all of which these things I didn't know existed. So as you could imagine, there are some, you know, sometimes you're just forced into a situation where you have to like, like I said, you like learn to fly on your way down, you learn as you go. And, um, but I think it really starts first with that, like you're not alone and there is help. There's help out there. So. Awesome. Well, Jamie, thank you again for sharing your story and, and really, I would say providing, you know, kind of that light to let people know, you know, if you are in a, a bad situation, you know, there's a way out. So. Yeah. And then, um, Oh, I don't mean to interrupt you, but it, just from like my personal experience and how, and I mean, just from seeing like, you know, others as well as like, you don't ever want to like a lot of the realization has to come from the person going through it. You have to be able to say, this is my situation and take action because you'll always end back, like end up back where you were. If you're not willing to say like, it is like whatever the situation is. And then take action based on, on that realization, because otherwise it'll, it'll just, the cycle will continue itself. So um, that's another big thing too. And that was one of the hardest things that I did was have to say, this is me, this is my life and this is what it is. But it wasn't until I did that, that I was like, I, I could take the proper action I needed to, to get my, my, myself and my daughter out of it and to be able to rebuild and, um, some people think this sounds really crazy, but I had to forgive. I had to 
forgive my my ex because not for him, but for myself, because as long as I. So like the forgiveness for me was a release. I had to strip myself of him, even though I was away, I was out of the situation, but I was still harboring. I was still angry. I was still hurting. I was harboring all these emotional things that were still, that were attached to him. So in order, so therefore in my eyes, he still had control over me and how I was like dictating my life by hanging on to these feelings and emotions. And so I had to forgive him to like release myself of all of that so that I could like really start fresh and rebuild my life on my terms and just like reclaim like me and who I want to be and as as a mom and as a person and now somebody who can help others in the same situation. So um, yeah, I think it's really important to, you have to accept your situation in order to forgive and then you can begin that process. And so, I mean, listen, I get, I went through that too, where I'm just, you want to, somebody does these things to you and you want them to hurt more than they hurt you. You want to see them suffer. You want to blame them, which is, you know, they're not wrong for that. Like, yeah, that, I'm, I'll be the first to admit, yeah, I want, I wanted him to suffer and I wanted him to hurt, but it was only hurting me because that's what he wanted from me. He wanted me to like feel angry. He wanted me at his level. So I'm just like, you know what, we're just gonna, I'm going to focus on me and do what I need to do so that this never fucking happens again. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, and that's a, you know, a strong, important point there too. Yeah. Like you said forgiven, but again, it's, it's for you. Mm-hmm. At the end and, of it all, daily it's practice. for you and your daughter. Yeah. And it's a daily, I could easily get angry again. Like, and now, listen, I share my story more time. I've shared more times than I could even begin to count in eight years. I, I've been, I've been sharing a lot and it's like, each time I just heal a little more. Like I don't get angry. I don't. And my story is it's has really shifted more from like what has happened to me. It's a small part. And I do go into detail because I want people to know like how messed up it was, but really it just has shifted more into like, it's like a story of becoming like, I really had to like dig myself out of like years and years all the way from my childhood, just like dig myself out of like this cycle. And I broke that cycle. Like it's been in my family for years and years and years. And um, I broke that cycle for my daughter and I, but I had to like dig myself out. I had to like, yeah, essentially like I felt so buried under like so much trauma and I had to like, you know, dig myself out and address the trauma um, so that I could, yeah, be who I am today. Good. good. So before we, wrap up here as always um again thank you uh, for doing this uh did you have any shout outs or mentions that you'd like to put out there before we wrap up um i would just say i you know i just to address anybody that's going through um a situation of their own that to just you know don't lose hope and don't don't settle for that because we're and and even somebody who's 
who is a survivor and that we're not defined by what happens to us. We're defined on like how we pick ourselves back up and, 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 you know, press on with life in a beautiful way. And you don't always, you know, survivors are not required to help other people. You're not required to be an advocate or like share your story. But I think it's, you know, it's still such a beautiful thing to survive something so ugly and then to, um, to get out of it. And, and there's ways out of it. I don't, you know, people who are in that situation, it's dark and sometimes you don't see a way out, but, but there is, you just have to sell yourself on it for, for a little while. And then, then you'll start to see the light a little bit and then, you know, just, and always reach out, always reach out. It's, you know, nothing to be ashamed of at all. And as much as society, you know, sort of puts this like taboo label on domestic violence or intimate partner violence. I mean, it's, um, it's not taboo. It's more common than you realize. And yeah, you're, you're definitely not alone. Absolutely not alone. And, um, as far as mentions, obviously like, um, you know, my organization, women, well, not mine, but the (laughs) nonprofit I work for women against abuse, which is, um, actually one now one of the nation's largest domestic domestic violence service providers and um even if you're not in the philly area even if i mean you can call any hotline and they can direct you to wherever you know your area and people who can help you that are close by um yeah they're i mean they each have like a laundry list of resources um and yeah so i would just utilize them every single one of them that's what they're there for. So, yes. All right. Awesome. I'll make sure to put this info in the notes as well and any yeah, links. It's, it's uh, womenagainstabuse.org, I should say. And for everyone else listening, thank you, as always, for sharing your time and, and listening to the podcast and supporting the podcast. do appreciate you all. And, you know. The show couldn't run without y'all, so thank you. Um, if y'all have any questions, concerns, criticisms, feel free to reach out to me. You can always find me here on Off Nets Podcast on Instagram or bjj.wiki on Instagram as well. Um, I have an email. I think it's offthemets2020 at gmail.com. If y'all feel like sending me an email as well. I've been getting a couple emails out there. So obviously you guys are able to find it. So thank you for that. And I do check those emails. I don't check the other, the horror movie podcast emails as frequently. So send all your emails there off the mats. Um, I want to give a big shout out again to our guest here, Miss Jamie Colleen. Um, you can all find her on Instagram as well at bad MMA or is it MM? MMA M- mama? It's just M. So it's mama, but spelled MMA. M-A. I always, yeah. <laughs> every time I say it, I, I'm like, I know how I see it written. Yeah. But then I try to say it and I was like, don't say it. Just <laughs> spell it out. It's so, you know, it's actually super funny listening to some people sometimes. Like I've had like some of my, uh, uh, so a friend of mine, he's like, a, he's got like a, a thick like Portuguese accent and he's like, oh it's the the uh the bad mama mama <laughs> it's the bad mama mama <laughs> so yes you all can Everyone find say it, but yeah it's 
B-A-D-M-M-A-M-A. Yes. <laughs> Bad mama mama. <laughs> uh, you guys will see the link, um, you know, in, in the notes and on Instagram. But shout out to Miss Jamie. Thank you again, as always. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. It's amazing. Um, yeah. Thank you. And, um, you know, again, if y'all have any, uh, you know, needs or questions um, or concerns or feelings about uh, the topic that we discussed, there will be links uh, shared as well in the show notes and on Instagram. Um, otherwise, like I said, thank you, everyone. I love you all. I appreciate the hell out of everyone. You guys keep listening. We're going to keep making this show. Thank you, everyone. And... They probably said, now let me see his song.